A few quick notes before today's episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate it on Apple or other platforms where you listen. This is a huge part of helping us grow and it's much appreciated. This series is produced by Authentic, a full-service brand and digital marketing studio that specializes in real estate development and leasing. We work with forward-thinking developers and property managers to create and then capitalize on demand for their properties. Our team at Authentic is built specifically for the commercial real estate industry, and we plug in every step of the way. Find out more at AuthenticFF.com. Finally, we want to hear from you. Email your feedback and ideas, as well as who else we should have on the show, to podcast at AuthenticFF.com. On this episode, I'm speaking with Jacob Carter, founder of NurtureBoss, an automation platform for multifamily that brings AI and automation to prospect follow-up and resident communication. Jacob's background is in marketing technology and software development, and it was through his own pains as a renter that the idea for NurtureBoss was born. He's passionate about bringing technology to marketing to help shape customers' behavior, solve problems in the customer journey, and drive customers towards the best products by allowing for informed decision-making. He firmly believes that a customer who has great purchasing experience stays a customer for life. I'm your host, Chris Arnold. Let's jump right in. All right, so Jacob, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you have spent most of your years so far in the Southwest part of the country. But tell me and, and the listeners a little bit more about what I would call like the tinkering nature of your, your upbringing. Yeah, sure. So I describe myself as a nerd with a little asterisk next to it, which is that not that typical like bookworm glasses nerd. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's a fine brand of, of nerd. But I was more of the tinkerer, like you said. So you know, when I was young, I was always wanting to understand how things worked, taking things apart, building things. That's definitely translated and followed me throughout life. But um, you know, as a as a kid, it was mostly just painful for my my family because I've blown up more than one toaster in my day, and you know, built sound systems for my room that people probably didn't appreciate. But uh, I've always kind of been uh, into that sort of a thing. So my one sentence summary of that is that I wasn't the kid that skateboarded. I was a kid that built ramps that the skateboarders used is kind of uh, how I was growing up. I have to admit, I was every morning uh, with my son, we do usually like eggs and, and bacon or eggs and toast or something like that. And the last few mornings that we've made toast, I've thought about you and I thought to myself, man, maybe one day <laughs> my son is going to be the kid taking apart the toaster. Because to this point, he's not someone who's super in the toys. He's very much into... How do things work? You know, how do the wheels move and the gears work? So that's really cool to hear that you grew up that way. I might have one of one of my own uh, under my wing soon. Lucky guy. Yeah, yeah, I know. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you said that you were also into woodworking. You had kind of like a hardware phase, and then you got into building the computers. Also, is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my phases of interest evolved as uh, I got older and. I think really what I went into was into building radios and all the little parts and components that, that go with that. I had a uh, aunt's father who is not my grandfather. You know how that gets complicated, but he was a, a ham radio operator. And one summer I, I spent time with him and built a, a whole system for that. And that really got me into electronics that then translated into computers. So, you know, building your own computers. And then ultimately that went into kind of like the software side of things in terms of using computers uh, versus building them. 
And you had um, you had an uncle, I believe, who worked at Oracle. So the way the story goes from our earlier conversations, um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. is that he eventually gave you a book uh, speaking to computers and specifically about building HTML websites. And I, I feel old even just saying it, but I think we both grew up in a similar era where yeah. HTML websites and some CSS was that was the hot thing in the early kind of internet web days. Um, what was that like? And is, was that something that kind of caught fire right away for you? Or did it sit on the shelf for a bit? Yeah, so your recollection of that story is correct for sure. And we're not old yet. But in the age of the internet, we are dinosaurs. So when I first got into this kind of stuff, Google existed technically, but it was not a resource you used to uh, readily look up anything you wanted like it is now. So books were still the best resource you could get um, for for learning new things and, and answering questions that you had. And yeah, he gave me that book. And I mean, it caught right away. I, I went through that thing front to back. I started building websites, being able to write code and then refresh your browser and see something you created like on the screen in front of you just blew my mind. You know what I mean? It was, I felt like the most powerful being in the world, you know, being able to do this. So I definitely caught the bug. and. Um, really stuck with that and, and kept uh, focusing on that for a lot of years to come. And uh, you know, ultimately, that drove my, my career eventually as well. Yeah. We'll get to your career in a couple of minutes. But I want to kind of sure. talk about this sort of... I, I, would, I guess I wouldn't call it funny. But a lot of my guests have this interesting side path that they take kind of do, during the collegiate teen, collegiate years. And for you, that ended up being political science, which yeah. obviously poli-sci isn't HTML. But tell us a little bit about that journey through political science courses. And then I believe you ended up leaving because you said to yourself, Hey, this isn't it. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I went to school for political science. You know, I was turning into an adult, uh, at the era of, you know, Obama, uh, and him running for president. And regardless of your, your political affiliation, you know, he riled up a lot of young people to care about politics. And I got caught up in that and, and wanted to, uh, get involved and start building my own opinions, not just parrot what other people said and, you know, understand what was going on in the world and vote and play a role. And I still feel strongly in all those areas. But yeah, I ultimately was uh, going to school uh, for political science and, um, you know, didn't end up graduating with, uh, you know, a degree in uh, political science and didn't go that way professionally. I still kind of had that HTML book in the back of my head, I guess, from uh, back in the day. Yeah. So at about at about 21, I believe, you moved into the professional world for good. You started working with a tech company and it really got you off to the races at a at a relatively young age. What was mm-hmm. the first stop in the kind of the career journey on your way to Nurture Boss? Um that you and, and then I guess on top of that, what were you doing there? What was your day-to-day like? Yeah, so I dropped out of college to go get a job in tech, right? Because I had this skill set that I had, uh, you know, honed on my own and taught myself, and I was passionate about it. And I realized I could get paid to do it, so I kind of abandoned uh, the school thing and, and went into this uh, job where I did digital work and engineering work for a small marketing and advertising company. So primarily building websites. Uh, Joomla is what we were using at the time. This is before WordPress or Squarespace or any of the things that are out there now, and putting a lot of my time and, and energy into working on our customers' digital presence originally in websites. And kind of from there, started to get it into the marketing side of things, Google Analytics, uh, you know, becoming a, a new type of nerd, a data nerd, and you know, wanting to learn more uh, about that stuff on the marketing side. 
And um, I don't want to rush through the story because it's it's an interesting one, but um, it ended up not working out at that agency. They they ended up mm-hmm. not kind of continuing. But the way the story goes is you you walked away with something like fifty clients on all the servers or something like that, and 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 explain to the listeners kind of what that meant and how that segued into your kind of your next career stop. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that company shut down, uh, ran out of money, went out of business. I mean, the story of millions of small businesses uh, around the country every year. But when we shut it down, I asked the owner of the company, what are we going to do with all of our customers? You know, we host their websites, we update them from time to time, hosting them just meaning we keep them on the internet for our customers. Uh, what's going to happen to those? And said, well, we're just going to shut them down. And I said, well, I'll take them. I'll, you know, I'll, uh, I'll maintain them. I'll host them. So I reached out to every customer of this company. I said, Hey, if you give me 25 bucks a month, I'll keep your website live and I'll make any updates that you need. And I walked away with uh, my first experience and kind of recurring income from something I had done myself. And that was really my first dip into kind of the entrepreneurial side of of the world as well. And uh, that was pretty exciting for me to see that that was uh, something I could do is is make myself uh, income. That's really interesting. And your next company was a VoIP company. And I believe you were hired to kind of continue to do the same types of things that you were, uh, you know, leaving the previous agency working on, which was managing websites, managing servers. Mm-hmm. Um, but over time, you ended up getting moved over to the marketing team and then eventually into another team. But um, talk about those sort of like inner company stops and what you learned along the way, because I think that really mattered kind of in retrospect, looking back at my notes from our earlier conversations when it comes to MarTech, which we'll get to. but. Before we get there, yeah, kind of run us through those those couple teams that you worked on at that VoIP company. Yeah, so I got hired there uh, after I, I you know uh, left that marketing and, and advertising agency, and like you said, it was to manage uh, websites. They had uh, servers they had purchased to run their their VoIP uh, product, and that servers uh, belonged to a basically a website hosting company. And they had a small team that kept them up and running and, and made customer updates and edits. And it was really the same thing I was doing at the previous job. But what happened was they ultimately shut that part of the business down to focus fully on the VoIP side. And I got transitioned to the marketing team. And this is really my first experience and exposure to targeted marketing and you know data-informed decision-making behind marketing. And I got to see what it was like to build out uh, digital ad campaigns and email campaigns with you know, platforms like Pardot, if you're familiar. And I got to see how decisions that we made in the marketing department would affect how the consumers behaved and decisions that the consumers would make. And that was really exciting for me. That was kind of my second aha moment where realizing I could make whatever I want show up on the internet was really exciting for me, making me realize that I can influence, of course, in a positive way, um, you know, decisions that, that buyers are making was really cool. And that's definitely when like the marketing bug bit for me. And then Ultimately, I ended up moving one more time within that company to the software engineering team, uh, where I really got into you know application development and kind of in the weeds, in depth software uh, engineering and, and development, and kind of honed those skills in that final department. Yeah, and I think this is this is a really pivotal moment in your career, and and obviously the reason why things have been going so well. One of the reasons why I should say things are going well with with Nurture Boss, but. I think the combination of those first few years of experiences really allowed you to kind of fully form an understanding of MarTech that has obviously catapulted you forward with the company today. And, and I guess I would say, I'll go so far as to say that that has kind of more or less become the theme of your career at, at this point. But 
Before we go any, any further, you know, this idea of MarTech, you know, I'm sure some of the listeners don't know exactly what that means or they have their own understanding of what that means potentially. In your own words, tell us what that is and, and then you know, maybe what, what drew you to it and why you've stayed in it. Yeah. So MarTech is like our fancy shorthand for marketing technology. And really, this is a broad term that can cover any sort of software platform or you know, thing, I guess, that, that we use to uh, orchestrate and strategize and execute around uh, marketing within our business. So the most obvious examples of this is going to be you know, a, a CRM that uh, a business like me would use, like a HubSpot or a Salesforce. I would also categorize some of the stuff that uh, folks in multifamily are using, fitting into that category nicely as well. You know, Software we use to manage Google Ads could fit into this category, which is something most people are familiar with. But really, it's a, a broad term to describe technology used to help strategize and execute on the marketing side of your business. Mm. And you spent a few more years with a couple companies honing your MarTech skills. Can you give us a quick rundown of what that journey looked like? Because I know at least one individual along that journey, and, and I'm sure there are many more, uh, you sure. mentioned to me as being really influential and someone who's uh, you know still in close contact with you today with Nurture Boss. But run us through those those next few experiences, and then let's dive into Nurture Boss. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I transitioned over to a company called Integrate. Uh, Integrate is a startup that just uh, recently had a very successful uh, acquisition. Um, and they are a B2B MarTech company. So that means they sell their product to other businesses, uh, usually large uh, tech companies, Google, Verizon, Adobe, Oracle. You know, These are the kind of folks that are using Integrate's product. I was hired on the engineering team to help build their, their new product, their version 2, if you will. And uh, I got to learn a lot about uh, how companies uh, market their product to their consumers and how to build technology that really facilitates that. That company uh, is founded and ran by uh, a gentleman named Jeremy Bloom. And he was a, a big influence on me and kind of reigniting that fire of entrepreneur, uh, you know, just being an entrepreneur in general, I guess, um, that kind of uh, got ignited back from that, that ad agency uh, you know, a few years prior. And um, was really cool to get to be involved in this startup and watch him build it and watch him make decisions and move the company this direction or that. And that was definitely influential um, in kind of what I would end up doing in my future. From there, I, I went over to another uh, local Arizona company called Infusionsoft. They have a CRM that targets um, small businesses and allows those businesses to you know, organize and, and market to, to their uh, prospective customers and existing customers. So again, this is very much in the MarTech space. I led a team of engineers uh, or several teams of engineers for a while over at Infusionsoft. Uh, and then ultimately, I went back to Integrate. Uh, this time though, I joined on the product team. So when I left Integrate, I was a director of engineering. I led the engineering department uh, and all the, the you know, software engineers that worked there. When I came back, uh, I joined as a group product manager and I led a team of product managers. And this was crucial uh, for me, I think, in my development because you know, engineers really focus on how you build the thing product focuses on what you build. So they're out there doing market research, figuring out what pain points your customers have, ideating on possible solutions to those pain points. So that really taught me how to look at um, you know, problems in a way of trying to identify solutions. Yeah. No, I'm glad that we went through that because I think it, it clearly builds up to the work that you're doing today at Nurture Boss. And, and mm -hmm. 
you know, we met earlier this year, and, and one of the things that has um, you know continued to impress me about you and your approach is is you do have this blend of you're very practical. You have sort of this engineering brain. You can tell, but at the same time, you have you know realistic marketing focused sort of data points that. Are, are all about the product side. And so it's it's really interesting to see you sort of talk and work through dialogue on these topics because it's it's clear that you understand both sides. And and now knowing your story, it's 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 understandable why you approach it the way you do. So I want with that said, I want to pivot into the startup, Nurture Boss. And and um, it's something that started with a spark for you, had to do with apartment hunting. So as we kind yeah. of transition here into the real estate world, tell me a little bit about that spark and what was going on and, and why did you say, hey, let's let's uh, let's get this thing going? Yeah. So I have uh, you know, I'm a, a homeowner now in my 30s. All through my late teens and twenties, um, I was a renter, right? And um, I have rented many apartments throughout my life. And the experience was always the same for me, which is summed up in a word frustrating. You know, the way I looked at it is I'm basically trying to give you the apartment complex tens of thousands of dollars a year so that I can live there and I can't get a phone call returned. I can't get a question answered, right? So what I found is that I'd have a, a handful of properties that I thought maybe I wanted to live in, but ultimately I'd, I'd usually end up picking the one that gave me the time of day and answered my questions. And maybe that was the right choice uh, and the best place to live. Maybe it wasn't, but it was uh, the one that I got a response from. Right. Then you move into the apartment, and uh, again, communication kind of stops. You know, you don't hear from the on site team, you don't hear from the property management company. I get an email once in a while letting me know that the pool is going to be closed because somebody broke a glass bottle. The fire marshal's coming by, you need to put your extinguisher out in the hallway. But you didn't really get that, hey, we're happy you're here. Are things going well? Can we do anything for you? That kind of personal outreach. And it felt very transactional which made it feel less like a home, right? And and that was frustrating for me. And, you know, it was that experience that ultimately led me to start, you know, thinking of the idea that eventually became Nurture Boss. And so talk to us about that that uh, that time of transition from these are ideas rolling around in your head, you know, it's, you're, you've identified a problem, right? There's always this, you know, identifying the problem first, coming up with a few ideas and then taking it to market to test it and kind of see what the reaction is, you know, in, in with boots on the ground and in, in reality. Um, what was your first step for Nurture Boss? Was it asking around to a few friends? Did you jump right into building prototypes? Uh, what was that kind of going back to my engineering slash marketing analogy for the way that you think? What what which one did you get started with first? Yeah, so I spent you know thirty minutes asking people what they thought about the idea um, and kind of did a little bit of market research. But you know what the thing about getting people's feedback on ideas is that I have never found it to be useful in terms of making a decision if you want to build something or not. Now, I can explain that more. And that's not to say you shouldn't do market research to talk to your customers. You absolutely should talk to your customers. If you ask your friends what they think about an idea, rarely are you going to hear something that is... People are you know risk adverse and don't like chances. So that's not me. You know, I want to go for it. So I very quickly built an MVP and got it in the hands of some leasing teams at apartments. And you know, long story short, uh, within a few weeks, there had been several leases that had signed in direct correlation to messages that NurtureBoss had sent. We can get more into you know, what NurtureBoss is and what we do to give you more detail there. But it was like, hey, this works. And it works so well that within 
uh, a couple of weeks, I had 10 customers across three states because word of mouth, these other properties wanted to to use the product. So for me, that was all the indicator of product market fit I really needed to, to go all in on the idea. And for listeners, this isn't back in 2010 or 2015. This is 2020 as the pandemic is really sort of kicking off. Here's Jacob taking this big risk and getting the getting the MVP out there to a few to a few groups. What challenges did you come up against right away? Like maybe real estate specific. Were there any challenges mm-hmm. that you that you faced right away, or that you knew that you were going to have to combat as a kind of new product on the scene? Yeah. So uh, a few things. Um, you know, I think the first thing is that in the last two and a half years, multifamily has taken leaps and bounds in the forward direction in terms of adoption of modern technology and new strategies. And that is very much new in the last 24 months. So when we first started uh, you know, presenting Nurture Boss to the world of commercial real estate, it was very much like, no, you don't have anything like this. No, we're not replacing something you already have, but you should have something like this. And let me explain why, right? Let me tell you why you need Nurture Boss, which is hard. You know, when there's a large educational piece to the sell of a product, it makes it much more difficult to, to do that, right? So that was one of the big things that we came up against. The other big surprise for me when I got into multifamily is that multifamily is very much a close-knit community and very much a closed group, right? You can't just wander in off the street into a room filled with multifamily executives and say, hey, you don't know me and I don't know much about your industry, but I want to tell you about this product, right? You really have to pay the piper, so to speak, put in the sweat equity, put in the time, put in the hours, and uh, get to know the industry, become involved in the industry, so that not only you can build better products that service the industry, but also you can talk the talk and walk the walk so that you can get a seat at the table to even have the conversation of getting uh, a potential customer to consider your product. Right. Yeah. And I think this dovetails nicely into this this idea that multifamily is uh, behind the times, or I've heard, it, you know, a few people have mentioned that it's a la- it's kind of a laggard industry. More of the outspoken younger leaders, I would say, across the multifamily space have brought up these concerns. And while things are changing, you know, it, it is a slow industry, slow to change. I've noticed that you've been able to be a voice on behalf of the change towards the industry, to the industry, and in many cases, you know, within the industry at those at those tables in those conversations. Do you feel like that's that's just Kind of like a symptom of a greater problem. Do you feel like that's something that is that is rapidly evolving and getting better? I guess there's not like a direct question there, but I'm kind of curious what you think about just the the industry as a whole and having to educate and move them forward into the future, and and if that feels like it's going to be an uphill battle for for quite some time or not. Yeah. So I'll preface the answer to this question with that I've learned a lot about multifamily in the last uh, you know two and a half years and. You know, I gave you the example of I built Nurture Boss as a troubled renter. You know, I said the onsite team never got back to me, right? The onsite complaining this, complaining that. What I learned when I got into multifamily was that, hey, that onsite team, they actually have like 35 different jobs. And it is incredibly difficult for them to get through a day and get all the things done they need to get done. So, you know, that experience of the onsite team is a big driver of our product today. You know, one of the other things that I, I learned about multifamily is that. You know, this is a lot different than selling a widget. You're selling somebody a home, right? This is a huge purchasing decision. There are literally people's, you know, living in your product, right? Hundreds of people living in your product. 
And it is not, uh, you can't approach it the same way you would market, you know, the new iPhone, right? Because they're totally different problems. So I think there's good reason why multifamily is sometimes slow to adopt new technology. Now, the reason why I think we need to kind of release our foot off the brake is because you have companies like Nurture Boss, Knox CRM, to name another one, where our products are made for you. I'm not selling Nurture Boss to uh, a community and then going and selling it to a car dealer down the road, right? Our product understands your problems and uh, these new innovative products in the market understand your problems and are built to solve them. So to try to bring this around to, to an answer, you know, I, I get why historically the industry has been slow to adopt. It makes sense. I think that those concerns aren't here anymore. I think that we can open the floodgate and the industry can start benefiting from frankly, the decades of you know, technology advancements that have occurred since the first multifamily software was built back in the 90s. You know? um, and I'm eager to see that progress. Before we move forward, I want to give your sister a shout out because she joined the Nurture Boss team on the sales side of things. And she's actually, I believe, the, one of the first folks that I met at this year's NAA conference. And I want to, I want to say you know, thanks to her for, for giving us... Um, the time of day to connect and learn more about about Nurture Boss and a few other groups in the industry. But tell me a little bit about how she fits into the equation because when I first met her and then you, like a day later, I was like, oh, is this sort of like a, a family run business? Or did she start it with him? Or did you know did did Jacob join on? But she kind of has a cool uh, uh, cool little story here. So as a sidecar, um, just give us a little let's give a little shout out and some props to uh, to Jessica. Yeah, she deserves it absolutely. So. Jessica's employee number one uh, at Nurture Boss. Um, you know, she's uh, my sister, uh, and she heard me talking a lot about the company uh, as I was building it. Uh, and then, kind of worse, is she heard me talking about how I was trying to sell the product. Now, she is a seasoned, very experienced veteran uh, salesperson who has uh, been in enterprise sales for over a decade. You know, she's highly decorated at every job she's ever had, incredibly successful. And she just couldn't take it anymore listening to me uh, talk about sales. And more or less, uh, I think we remember this differently. But she said, listen, you need my help, right? Like you are not going to succeed here. You need my help. And I said, you're right, I do. Uh, And she joined and has has led the revenue side of the business uh, since she joined. And, uh, you know, it's thank goodness for that. And she also joined uh, before I had uh, done anything. I don't even know if I'd incorporated the business yet, right? So she stopped getting paid, came and worked uh, for free at my startup under the promise that one day I would you know, raise money and be able to, to give her a paycheck, which thankfully we're well past that now. But um, she took a, a big leap of faith on me and Nurture Boss, which uh, I'm grateful for. Hey listeners, just a quick reminder that today's episode is brought to you by our company, Authentic, the full service brand and digital marketing studio specializing in real estate development and leasing. If you weren't aware, I wanted to let you know about how our team adds value to all of your projects. Because Authentic has been architected with the entire real estate development lifecycle in mind, we sit in parallel with your strategy, marketing, rendering, digital, and leasing needs, beginning at day zero. To learn more about how we can help elevate your next project, or to keep existing projects stabilized, visit our website for more information at AuthenticFF.com. Let's dive into to the nuts and bolts of Nurture Boss because I think this is really cool. Obviously, a great product and a fascinating conversation to be having post pandemic in light of, you know, as you said it, hopefully the industry is taking their foot off the brake. 
But Nurture Boss in general is in two buckets, right? It's this idea of lead to lease and this idea of lease to renewal. Going back to the kind of the stories and the frustrations that you had, let's dive into the lead to lease part of Nurture Boss. You had a bad experience. You had some frustrating experiences. Talk about how Nurture Boss aims to address that and really, you know, no pun intended, really nurture that lead through the process to to lease. Yeah, absolutely. So Nurture Boss kicks in as soon as a, a new lead enters, you know, your property management software or your CRM. And a few things happen right away. The first thing that happens is Nurture Boss looks at that lead's uh, data and information to get a really good understanding of what is uh, most important to this prospect and what kind of communication is most likely to lead them to continue to move through that sales funnel, that lead to lease lifecycle. Schedule a tour, apply online, sign a lease, right? Once we've kind of made that determination, we create a, a really custom and bespoke nurture track that speaks specifically to that prospect's needs, interests, and wants. And we start delivering that information through multiple channels, different, you know, days of the week and times of the day. All these things are, are uh, determined using you know, our data and AI automatically so that the prospect is getting the information they care about that they need to make an intelligent decision without the on-site team having to get involved whatsoever. So not only is the on-site team with their 35 jobs getting a break from this task, also the prospect like me back in, in my shoes is not waiting to hear back, waiting to learn about the information that I care about. Yeah, and um, you know, on on the marketing side, on the branding, marketing, and sort of lead gen side at our company, we see this all the time where a lead is delivered to the developer or the real estate group or the leasing team. You know, kind of whoever's you know, again, one of those thirty five jobs, whoever's handling that, it can be fumbled really easily, right? If it's not handled in a way where it's being nurtured and understood, it's really easy for you know, even free leads, even pre leasing leads coming in the door. And they just kind of get lost in the ether because no one's nurturing them, no one's moving them forward. And to your point, something that you said to me in our earlier conversation had to do with, you know, renting out an apart- apartment is is complex. There's a lot of bits and pieces to that sales cycle that people are considering all along the way, from those early touch points to kind of the nurture phase that you're referring to. What's a good example or two that you can give in and how you as, as nurture boss nurture that lead and kind of get them interested and excited about a particular property? Like what are some of those nurturing steps? Yeah, that's a great question. And I just want to say what you said again, because it's so important, right? The, the process of, of buying or leasing an apartment is incredibly complex. People care about different things. You know, I want to live here because my gym is close by and there's a Starbucks that I can walk to every morning. Well, you know, she wants to live here because there's a dog washing station, Right. And she wants to live here because they have this great two-story gym. So if we know this ahead of time, right, if we're fortune tellers, then we can just give them the information we know is going to seal the deal. But what Nurture Boss is doing to try to become this fortune teller I've described is we're measuring how these prospects are interacting with content. And if I notice that Chris keeps going to look at information about the neighborhood, I'm going to start feeding Chris more information about the neighborhood because I know that that's something that he's interested in. Right. If I know that Jessica keeps looking at photos of the fitness center, then I'm going to start feeding Jessica more information about our amenities and the fitness center specifically. So this is kind of the the way that we're able to you know leverage our technology to get a really good understanding of you know what is this person looking at, what are the data points this person cares about to make a decision, and how can we provide them the information that hits those data points so they can make that smart decision. 
Yeah. And I think you said to me, the renter should never have to prompt the leasing team or the group that is in charge of anything for them. And that's what you found yourself doing so many times, you know, both when you were trying to find a place to rent. And then once you had actually rented, how do I get in touch with somebody? Who's the phone number to call? Why won't anyone call me back? And I think that's the really important piece of Nurture Boss for these um, for these properties that want to level up that nurture game is to think about incorporating something like this. Because again, firsthand experience, we can bring leads in the door. But after that, you know, it really depends on who's your leasing team, who's your contact that's really ushering these, these leads through the, that process, hopefully to a lease. Let's not look past and let's talk about this lease to renewal side of Nurture Boss. I think this is probably... In my experience, maybe something that gets kind of brushed over or or, or pushed aside often for a lot of groups. Um, now, though, it's you know it's coming into fall, late year, twenty twenty two, and I think that there's a shift happening in the industry. You've been talking about it yourself. I think your sister has too. Where it's not all you know roses and cupcakes anymore. You know, all of these properties aren't totally flushed with renters um, and turnovers happening. So let's talk about lease to renewal and where Nurture Boss really slides into that to that part of the process. Yeah. So to dive in a little bit about that transition that we're seeing that, that you just mentioned as well, you know, there's there's a lot of factors and a lot of line items on the ledger when we're calculating NOI, you know, and, and the the profit that we're making on our community. But a big detractor from that number is vacancy loss. And vacancy loss is described as the cost to you and the revenue that you lose by having a vacant unit, right? You have to turn a unit, clean it, paint it, repair it. You got to buy leads to fill it. You're not mm-hmm. making rent while it's empty. So uh, historically, that hasn't been a big problem because rent increases have been going up so fast that getting that unit vacant is better because the amount of increase in rent you're going to get from that new tenant makes up for your vacancy loss. And that's not the case as much as it was. And we're trending toward it being less and less the case. So all of a sudden, we're going back to where we were five years ago, where we care a lot about the vacancy loss number and bringing that down. So there's this renewed focus on renewals, if you will, and on resident retention, right? And frankly, the best way to create a good, uh, loyal resident is to have a great prospecting phase, right? So doing a good job in the lead to lease is the first thing to do to create a good lease to renewal experience. However, when somebody does move in, there's lots of communication and outreach that you can do proactively to make sure that resident understands that you're a member of the community and that they're valued so that you can increase that renewal rate, increase the referrals of them recommending their friends to live there, and increase your online reputation, which also inevitably will increase uh, your ability to capture new leads. So, you know, keeping consistent follow-ups throughout the resident life cycle is, is crucial and key to uh, really, you know, increase that NOI by bringing down vacancy loss, as well as those, you know, other bullets that we went through. You mentioned to me that Nurture Boss operates off this idea that resident retention really begins with the moment they sign the lease. And that stuck with me because it makes so much sense. And I think it's frankly something that's probably overlooked by the majority of the industry at this point. I mean, there's definitely groups that are, do- that are doing a good job that in the- and talk to this theme. But like automating that experience, automating some follow-ups, encouraging them to write online reviews, to push friends into the the system through referrals. I think all of that's really important and interesting to keep, you know, a property moving forward like a well-oiled machine. Just to kind of transition into sort of like what you're seeing now and and, and with Nurture Boss, Boss as a product in general, 
How have you seen the reception of Nurture Boss, the tools that it brings to the table? How have you seen that being received differently? You know, let's let's call it 2020 to now, you know, almost uh, three full years later, which is pretty crazy. But um, what have you been seeing out there? Yeah, well, I mean, the biggest change is I used to say, hey, you know, uh, Nurture Boss provides automation to nurture your leads. And people look at you like you spoke a different language. Now, you know, every website out there talks about nurturing leads with automation, right? And now we don't get credit for that. You know, I think that we've played a role in the community and, and being loud about it, but the industry is moving that direction, right? So that's the biggest change, really, is that Nurture Boss doesn't need uh, our value prop, doesn't need an explanation now for every phone call that we get on. People get it because the industry is talking about it, right? And I think that that's the the biggest shift that we've seen in in our product living in the multifamily world over the last two years. Let's look ahead a little bit. I, I want to maybe pick your brain. Hopefully, this doesn't catch you off guard, but like the biggest shift that you're seeing in the multifamily space that potentially impacts the work that you're doing at Nurture Boss, or maybe said another way, what are you planning for at Nurture Boss on the technical side as you look ahead to 2023? And, and like how you see this product evolving along with the industry? Yeah, so two things. The first is, you know, you're going to hear this. If you haven't already heard it 100 times this week, you'll hear it, you know, 100 times next week, which is centralized leasing, right? Everybody's talking about centralized leasing. And uh, we definitely are thinking about that, building features within our product, uh, as well as new products to help facilitate property management companies that want to move toward a centralized leasing model. Uh, it makes sense, especially with struggles of, of being understaffed that we're seeing right now, the uh, advancement of technology, you know, the increased revenue, the uh, increased customer experience. It all makes sense, but that's where we're seeing everybody move. The other big thing that I'd say is really that resident side that I was referring to uh, just previously as we were speaking. There's Right now, everybody that's getting on the bandwagon of automation and nurture is on the bandwagon of prospect automation and nurture, which is great. We're there too. But the next thing that everybody's going to be scrambling for is the resident journey, right? And uh, we're ahead there. We have a ton of great products that focus on the resident journey. And every day, we release new features and products that focus on the resident journey. So that's something that you'll see more uh, from Nurture Boss as well. Yeah, great. No, I, I love talking to you about this stuff. I mean, it's we could talk about it all afternoon, I think, because you, you speak so well to it. But let's start to wrap up. And let me hit you with a few rapid fire questions, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got you this far, so hopefully you don't turn off the camera and the microphone. So yeah. I'm curious to just to pick your brain about the the shifts that we're seeing in multifamily uh, and maybe just real estate in general. But over the last year or so, like what's what's maybe the most exciting thing that comes to mind as uh, as the industry moves forward or shifts or maybe starts to like shake off some of the some of the old ways of thinking. Yeah. So you know I'm I feel like I'm being a little repetitive, but I think it, it's worth it, which is just the innovation that we're seeing in the industry is really the most exciting thing to me. I think the message that I want to get out there for folks that are on the operator side, not the vendor side or supplier side like myself, is the innovation's there, right? You're not missing the innovation. The companies, the innovative companies, we're out here doing stuff. You just need to reach out and grab it, right? You just need to accept it and give it a shot and see how it works for your portfolio. So I think that that's the the most exciting thing that, that I've seen is that shift. Cool. Yeah. How about one book that you would recommend to the listeners right now that they run out grab on Amazon or whatever and start reading it? Yeah. So the the book that we give every new hire at Nurture Boss is a book called Radical Candor by Kim Scott. You know, This is not a new book. Uh, it's been around for a while now, but it's such a great book on you know the original title. I don't know if this is the title anymore, but it was Radical Candor, How to Be a Kick-Ass Boss Without Losing Your Humanity. Right. So it talks about 
uh, creating a radically candid environment where you provide feedback and have honest conversations with each other. And at a startup where we move a million miles an hour, that's crucial. The flip side of my my book recommendation is, uh, again, the nerd in me, I'm a big uh, sci-fi fantasy fan, and I'm just for the first time getting into the the Wheel of Time series. So if you're into that kind of a thing, um, I, I 10 out of 10 recommend that book. And there's 15 of them. So if you like the first one, you got plenty more to read. You got 15 or 14 more years to finish the rest of the series if you get started this year, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Really cool. No, really cool. Thanks for sharing that. I want to thank you again for joining me today, Jacob. There's there's really only one other thing for me to do right now, and that is to roll out the red carpet in front of you. Tell the world what you're up to, where they can find you online. Yeah. So LinkedIn is where it's at for, for Nurture Boss. You know, that's where we're talking about what we're up to. It's where we're sharing our, our thoughts and, and insights. Uh, and then also our, our blog posts on our website as well. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Jacob is... One of the best people I think to follow on LinkedIn, just to do a, sort of a follow up plug for him on there. Uh, he's always posting great, great insight, following industry news and trends, and then making some comments on them that are always uh, insightful and helpful. So we'll be sure to link all of that in the show notes below, so all the listeners can can check it out. Jacob, thanks again so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a blast. Transforming Cities is brought to you by Authentic the full-service brand and digital marketing studio that specializes in real estate development and leasing. Visit us online at AuthenticFF.com. If you're a new listener, you can follow along at AuthenticFF.com slash podcast or simply subscribe to your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.